You're listening to The Encounter Podcast, featuring the latest messages and teachings by David Diga Hernandez. Don't forget to subscribe. The Encounter Podcast. Encounter the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. This is for those who want to be used by God, who want to see an increase of the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. I'm talking about the double portion anointing. Now, we understand that every believer already has the Holy Spirit. Every believer already has the power of the Holy Spirit deposited in them. It was so since the moment you put your faith in Jesus. But I want to talk to you about how to walk in that power that you have been given. Go now to 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're going to look at the story of Elijah and Elisha. 1 Kings chapter 19, I'm going to start at verse 16. We're going to skip 17 and 18 and then go to 19 through 21. It's time we lay down our lives that the power of God might have influence in us and through us. 1 Kings 19, verse 16. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meholah, to replace you as my prophet. So here Elijah is being instructed to go and anoint Elisha. Let's go now down to verse number 19. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Verse 20. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said to him, First, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, Go on back. But think about what I have done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Now, let's go back to verse number 16. And as I said, we're looking at the story of Elijah and Elisha. And as we read through the scripture, we're going to glean truths concerning the double portion anointing, and then we're going to apply those to our lives so that we can continue to walk in greater measures of the Holy Spirit's power. Again, noting that that power is already within you. So you have that power. The question is, are you surrendered to God in a way that that power can flow? Now, verse 19, excuse me, verse 16, we see that God is the one who instructed Elijah to anoint Elisha. This is the first thing we have to note. It does not come from man. The power of the Holy Spirit, the anointing, assignments, callings, ministries, none of these are man-made and none of these are man-given. Well, if they're genuine ministries, if they're genuine callings, they're not man-made. Man cannot anoint you without God's permission. Man is there for the ceremony of it, for the accountability of it. But ultimately, the power of the Holy Spirit is from God himself. It does not come from man. God uses men. It can come through men. But ultimately, callings come from heaven. And so we see that God was the one who instructed Elijah to go and anoint Elisha. So that's the first thing to note, that callings are found in the presence of God. When God gives you an assignment, he may use someone to help guide you. He may use someone to help keep you accountable, that your character might be shaped so that you can handle your calling. He may even appoint spiritual leaders that will help to affirm what he's doing in your life. But ultimately, we must remember that callings come from God. 
Man does not anoint man. Only God can anoint man. So we see there first and foremost that God was the one who instructed the prophet to go and anoint his replacement. Now let's go down to verse number 19. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. Now here's something that I've noticed about the Lord. Now keep in mind, I am not talking about salvation when I say what I'm about to say, because that can be confusing, especially if you know that I do not teach a works-based salvation. I teach a grace-based salvation. We are empowered unto holiness. God gives us a new nature and so forth. So in other words, we, we do good works, we live holy because he has saved us, but we recognize that those good works in and of themselves cannot do the work of salvation alone. So understand that when I talk about working, when I talk about not being lazy in this particular context, I'm talking about as it applies to ministries and callings, not as it applies to salvation. So remember this, if you have a past, God can work with that. You have flaws and character issues, God can help you shape those that you might become more like Christ. If you have doubts about yourself, you have insecurities, God can empower you with boldness to work through that. If you have obstacles, people coming against you, financial trouble, health issues, whatever it may be, God can work through it with you. But here's something that we must know about the call of God. Here's something that we must know about the anointing. It's not a popular truth. It may offend some, but the reality is this. God does not anoint the lazy. When God called Elisha, he was plowing the field. Well, think about it. When God called David, he was tending the sheep. When God called the disciples, they were fishing. They were fishermen, or some of the disciples were fishermen. When God called Isaiah the prophet, he was serving in the temple. Look throughout the scripture, and whenever a man was called, you'll see that he was a man who was busy. He was a man who was doing something. He was a man who was making use of his ability, who was being a good steward of his time. Now, we know that God can use anyone. God can do whatever he wants to do. And no, I'm not saying that laziness is the one flaw that God cannot help you with. What I'm saying is that if we are to surrender to that laziness, then we choose to not do the work of ministry. And God still allows us to have our autonomy and free will. And so if we're unwilling, if we're spiritually lazy, if we're inactive in our callings because of the decisions and the choices that we make based on our own free will, then of course, God will not force that calling upon us. Now again, God can use anyone he wants. God can anoint anyone that he wants. But if we look at the pattern in scripture, we see that God does not anoint the lazy. You have to be doing something. Now, I'm not saying that you have to be perfect. I'm not saying that there can't be a, a struggle with laziness or maybe a struggle with, with a lack of zeal. I'm saying that if we live the lifestyle of laziness, doing nothing ever, and we never get moving, we never are obedient, we never fulfill the instructions that God has given to us, then we make it very difficult to see the calling fulfilled in our lives. And God does not anoint the lazy. We see that Elijah was plowing a field. He was doing something. He was a person of work, a person of diligence. When God calls someone, he looks for someone who is diligent. Now, again, I want to reiterate so that there's no confusion. I'm not talking about salvation. That's a separate thing. God saves us despite ourselves, as long as we put our faith in Jesus. But here I'm talking about the call to ministry. I'm talking about the anointing, walking in that power, 
walking in the flow of the Holy Spirit in our lives, he does not anoint the lazy. Now watch in verse 19 that Elijah threw the cloak on him. In other words, here is that affirmation coming to him. Elisha did not ask. God spoke to Elijah. Elijah went to Elisha and he threw his cloak on him and Elisha responded to what was happening. Now, we need to balance these two thoughts because if we're not careful, they can seem to contradict one another. On one hand, we see that Elijah is a man of diligence, doing something, he's working. On the other hand, we see that he was not the one who pursued Elisha to begin with. It was God who, excuse me, who, he was not the one to pursue Elijah. It was God who called Elisha. And it was Elijah who threw the cloak. So we see that there is something to be said of those who recognize that they cannot call themselves into ministry. Yes, we should be diligent, as I just said a few moments ago. Yes, we should be working, as I just said a few moments ago. Yes, we should have our hand to the plow, so to speak. However, when it comes to the ministry, to the call of God, you cannot break into the ministry from ambition alone. Please hear what I'm about to say because our generation desperately needs to hear this. You cannot break into the call of God by ambition alone. Ministry, the anointing, is not a career choice. It's a calling. And I believe that many are ambitious about ministry because they perceive it as an avenue through which they can receive fame, fortune, status, importance something to be admired about them. And if you look at ministry in that way, then often you're operating from ambition and you can't anoint yourself. You can't call yourself. So yes, on one hand, we are to be diligent, working. On one hand, we are to be doing something for the kingdom. If you desire to be in ministry, of course you desire a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that desire in and of itself. But watch the motives because ambition is quite tricky. And the flesh is self-deceptive. And so we must keep this balance to where we're not walking in laziness. We are being diligent about our callings. But at the same time, we recognize that the cloak is thrown at us. We don't necessarily pursue it first. That if we just stick to our assignments, we're diligent about what we know God has spoken to us, then he will bring the promotion. He will bring the next step. He will be the one to cause you to walk into something new but God is the one who promotes. Do what's before you. Be diligent about what you know you have been assigned and allow the next assignment to come from God himself. But don't try to force your way through the door with ambition alone. Elijah threw the cloak on Elisha. He did not ask for it, but he was being diligent. Verse 20, Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him, First, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. In other words, you have to take some careful consideration about the call of God. So let's recap just for a moment here. So far, we've seen that the called are called by God, not by man. We see that the called are diligent. They're not lazy people, and God chooses for the most part, as far as we can see in biblical patterns, God chooses to not anoint the lazy. Rather, he calls the diligent. 
And then we also see balancing this point on diligence that our diligence should not come from the place of fleshly ambition. We also must recognize that initiation ultimately comes from God and there's nothing that we can do ourselves to force open doors that we're not ready to walk through. And then we see that it takes careful consideration. Think about what I've done. Think about it. Really take careful consideration about what you're stepping into. Think about the responsibility that comes from walking in the power of God. Think about the fact that if you continue to grow in your calling, that heaven adds to your responsibilities. That now there's a greater weight on you because of the responsibility. I heard it said that ministry is not a reward, it's a responsibility. Yes, there are wonderful things about ministry. Yes, being called by God comes with many benefits and the favor of God and so forth. That's wonderful. But on the other hand, we have to recognize that it's not about us receiving benefits. It's not necessarily just a reward. Ministry is a responsibility. Now look at verse 21. I love this. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Now, what's he doing here? He took the plow, used it as firewood, and then he roasted all his animals. What exactly is happening here? He's, he's burning his bridges, so to speak. He's making it so that he cannot look back. He's burning the plow. He's destroying his former means of sustenance. He's destroying that which he had up until that point totally relied upon to make a living. Now, that is the turning from that former life. That is the turning from his old responsibilities. That season, that chapter was coming to a close. The season was coming to an end. And he was stepping now into a new dimension of his calling. But in order to step into the new dimension of your calling, you have to step out of the old. And sometimes that's uncomfortable. The old is familiar. The old is not as scary. We've learned to rely on some of the systems and some of the sustenance that comes from the old. But my friend, if you're not willing to take that step of faith, if you're not willing to step into the newness of what God has for you by burning the plow, by slaughtering your animals, by turning from it in such a way that you can never go back, then you cannot step into the new. You have to destroy the old bridges. You have to get rid of that safety net, if you will at least when you know God has called you. And it takes total commitment. In other words, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set my mind to this and I'm not looking back. God does not call people who look back. And again, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about the call into ministry. I'll put it this way more clearly. God does not promote you in your calling if you're constantly living in your past. God does not promote you in your calling if you're constantly living in your past. If you're constantly looking and longing for the things of old. No, it takes total commitment to set your mind on the things ahead and above and to say, I'm going to pursue the call of God. I, I'm, I'm ridding my life of the old means of sustenance and stability and reliability and familiarity. And I'm now turning to what God has for me. I'm stepping into the new. It takes total commitment. Now go over to 2 Kings because that's where um, the, the next portion of the story that I want to read to you picks up. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. 
And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. But Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. Verse three, the group of prophets from Bethel came to Elijah, Elisha and asked him, did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to Jericho. But Elisha replied again, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together to Jericho. Then the group of prophets from Jericho came to Elisha and asked him, did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Verse six, then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River. But again, Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together. Here we see something quite interesting. Elisha wouldn't leave even though Elijah told him to go. There's some contention here. There's some conflict. There's friction between the two. Elisha saying, I want to follow you. Elijah saying, go away from me. And sometimes when God is getting ready to impart a double portion anointing on your life, there is contention. There is conflict. There is friction. This may even be the case between you and a spiritual mentor, a spiritual mother, a spiritual father. Uh, sometimes it's the case, and I'm not saying, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying this was the case with Elijah and Elisha, but an example of contention can be something as simple as the spiritual mother, the spiritual father doesn't quite want to let go and doesn't really want to give over something. And so there's contention, there's conflict. And that's, of course, speaking in the context of it being the time for that. And sometimes people just want to hang on to something because they're not ready to give it up, even though the Lord is telling them, impart that, hand that over. It's time for transition. And many times we've seen transition blocked because of certain people in certain positions not wanting to let go. That's again, not always the case. That's just an example of what contention can look like. And perhaps that may be something you're facing. There's contention that can come in other forms, such as persecution, criticism, slander. Anytime there's promotion, there's contention. And here we see this contention, but Elisha stood loyal to the vision. Elisha stood loyal to the purpose. He had his eyes set on the prize. He knew he wanted to walk in a greater measure of power. And so he persisted. Now look at verse three. The group of prophets from Bethel came to Elisha and asked him, did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Now it's my contention that Elisha wanted them to be quiet about it because he wanted to be the one who saw his master taken. And so there was a holy jealousy, a holy protection over his calling. Now we understand that there's godly jealousy and there's ungodly jealousy. Godly jealousy is based in love and selflessness. Ungodly jealousy is based in fear and selfishness. Now sometimes when people hear the word jealousy, it, it stirs something in them, they're offended by the word itself, but you have to understand that there's a godly jealousy and an ungodly jealousy. 
And here we see somewhat of a holy jealousy, a passion, a zeal for his calling. He wanted to be the one to catch the mantle. He's telling them, you be quiet, go over there. I'm going to catch this mantle. Don't tell anybody about it. It's a, it's a love. It's a passion for that calling. Now, it was about seven years between the time that Elijah tossed his cloak on Elisha and when Elisha received the double portion anointing. I'm going to read a verse to you from Luke chapter 16, verse 11. And if you are trustworthy, excuse me, if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Now I'm reading that verse to you to illustrate a point. It's the principle of stewardship. Here we see Elisha being committed to somewhat of the natural expression of that ministry that God had given to Elijah. He was serving him in a natural capacity with supernatural results. And if God can trust us with what we have now, if, hear me now please, because if you hear anything I'm about to say concerning the double portion anointing, I want you to hear this. If God can trust us with what we carry now, our integrity, our devotion to him, our motives, if God can trust us, entrust us with what we carry now, then God will increase and God will add to our responsibilities and God will entrust us with more. And so we see that's exactly what's happening here. Elisha was faithful seven years between when that cloak was thrown on him and when he finally received the mantle, but he was faithful in the practical. He was faithful in the spiritual. He was faithful when it came to his persistence. He was faithful when it came to honoring the man of God. He was faithful when it came to his diligence, to his focus, to his passion, to his motives. And here we see now something beginning to culminate. Go to verse 7 of chapter 2 now. Verse 7, 50 men from the group of prophets also went and watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. Then Elijah folded his cloak together and struck the water with it. The river divided and the two of them went across on dry ground. They're walking in something supernatural here. Verse nine, when they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. And Elisha replied, please, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit and become your successor. Verse 10, you have asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. If you see me when I am taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men separating them and Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, my father, my father. This is so powerful. My father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Then the river divided and Elisha went across. When the group of prophets from Jericho saw from a distance what happened, they exclaimed, 
Elijah's spirit rests upon Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. There's a lot to take in here. First, notice in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 7, that the other prophets followed at a distance. They were disconnected from what God was doing in the life of Elijah. Elisha followed closely. The other prophets followed at a distance, which is why they weren't there to catch the mantle when it fell. Do you realize, my friend, that in every generation, God is dropping mantles to the earth? In every generation, God is giving assignments to a people. In every generation, God is looking for servants whom he can use to expand the dominion of his kingdom. Are you walking closely enough with Jesus to be near and catch that mantle? Or are you allowing that mantle to fall to the ground? Then in verse 8, we saw that they walked through the water. This was a path that was created by God. The cloak struck the water. A path is created by God. This is God's divine hand leading him to the place of impartation. This is God's divine power being demonstrated in this moment. Only God can take you to the places where you catch the mantle. Please hear what I'm saying. Only the Lord Jesus can take you to the places where you'll catch that mantle. Now, verse 9, we see that Elijah asks Elisha first, what would you like me to do for you? And there again, we see that the diligence and the service was paid off, but on God's timing. There again, we see the balance between diligence and ambition. We don't want to be so diligent that we're ambitious, or we don't have, I should word it this way rather, we don't want to have the type of diligence that comes only from impure motives and ambition. We want holy diligence. We want to be working simply because we want to be obedient and allow God to open that next door. Here again, we see another example of that. The prophet asked him, what can I do for you? And he asks him for a double portion. He says, well, you ask a difficult thing. You don't, in other words, you don't realize what you're asking for. This is, this is something that's going to cost you. And indeed it did. Now, verse 10, let me show you something else. Verse 10, you've asked the difficult thing. Elijah replied, if you see me when I am taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. There's a couple of reasons why I believe that is. Number one, he had to finish the journey. Many believers don't walk in their calling simply because they don't finish what God gave them to start. So they start well, they begin with passion. And then as trials come, as things begin to become complicated as the glamour of ministry, if you will, begins to wane. Now all of a sudden they're saying, well, I don't know if I necessarily want to go the full journey, but here Elisha had to finish the journey in order to claim the mantle. Elisha had to finish the journey in order to claim the mantle. Now there was something to be said of seeing the prophet go. Jump down to verse 12 to see this. So in verse 10, we see that he had to be present. He had to watch. He had to see his master taken. Why? Part of it, again, was because I believe he had to finish the journey. The other part, take a look at this. In verse number 12, Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel. What's happening here? What's going on? What is he seeing? What he is seeing is the purpose of the assignment. He's capturing a revelation of what that mantle really means. 
It was a mantle to touch a nation, the nation of Israel. It wasn't just a calling for his calling's sake. He wasn't just called to be a prophet so he could be looked to as a great prophet. He recognized here, I see it. I, I see the chariots. I see the charioteers. I see it now. They're of Israel. An assignment for a nation. He recognized he had to be given that revelation of the assignment in order to continue to receive that double portion. Please recognize the purpose of your assignment. The purpose of your assignment is to glorify Jesus. The purpose of your assignment is to expand the kingdom of God. The purpose of your assignment is see the lost saved, the captive set free, the sick healed. It is not for self. The assignment is not for self. It's unto a people. He saw the charioteers of Israel and he was given this revelation and now he recognizes it's about the nation. The assignment is to a people. And you and I must recognize the same. The assignment given to us is to glorify Jesus and to reach a people. That's part of why I believe he had to be there to see his master taken so he could catch that glimpse, see the revelation, what this is really all about. And then in verse 13, we see the transfer take place. Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Then the river divided and Elisha went across. Now, it's okay to honor what God has done in the past as long as you're looking forward to the future. Where is the God of Elijah? Where is the God of my master? Where is the God of my mentor? And so, yes, Elisha is looking back to the God of his past. He's looking back at what had been done. He's looking back at his master's former assignment and he's saying, where is the God of Elijah? So here we see that it's okay to honor the past. It's okay to look at past revivals and be inspired. It's okay to look at generals of the faith who have been used mightily of the Lord and say, Lord, I want to be used like that. Or God, I want to be used in a similar way. Or God, help me like them to fulfill the call of my life. Use me, make my life count for the kingdom. It's okay to look back and honor as long as you're willing to continue to look forward. And finally, verse 15. When the group of prophets from Jericho saw from a distance what happened, they exclaimed, they exclaimed, Elijah's spirit rests upon Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. When God anoints you with the double portion anointing, you don't have to go announcing it. You don't have to say, this is the mantle I carry. People just recognize it. I don't go around announcing the mantle that's been imparted to my life. I just let the Holy Spirit reveal it. It's not even really about that. The point I'm making here is, why announce these things? Why make it about us? No, let, let others recognize the calling upon your life. And the point being, that mantle is evident. It comes with demonstration. When you begin to live a life that's surrendered to the Holy Spirit in this way, 
when you recognize where the calling comes from, when you're diligent about what God has given you to do without falling into the pit of ambition, when you honor the past, when you're diligent and you follow closely and you cling to Jesus and you live your life in a way that's surrendered like this, then that power becomes evident. You don't have to announce it. You don't have to declare it. You don't have to say, look at me and look what I carry. And again, it's not about that anyway. It comes with its own demonstration. Listen, the mantle does not fall on someone just because of who their parents are. The mantle does not come upon someone just because they married into a family. The mantle does not come upon someone just because they carry a title or spent X amount of years in ministry or because they have a large social media platform or because they're charismatic. No, my friend, the mantle comes upon those who are diligent about their calling, who cling to Jesus closely, who follow closely, not at a distance, who honor what God has done, who recognize it comes from him and it's for his glory. Will you catch that mantle for your life? Will you live your life in such a way that there'll be a double portion that rests on you? Father, I pray for that one who desires to walk in your power, the double portion of your power. Lord, I pray you give them double portion surrender that they might have double portion power. Let your anointing flow through their lives in an evident way. Cause them to see the fulfillment of their calling. Use them for your glory, Jesus. Help us to catch the mantle. We honor you, we bless you. In your name we pray. Say it because you believe it. Say, amen. Thank you for listening to The Encounter Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. Support the podcast by becoming a monthly supporter or making a one-time donation now. To give, just go to davidhernandezministries.com slash donate. Until next time, remember, nothing is impossible with God.